Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19. The title of today's message is Led by the Spirit. And it's really kind of a uh, continuation of what we were talking about, about the power of evangelism, but just another aspect of the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. In Acts chapter 1-8, it says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And we've been talking a lot about that. And I was talking with one of my sisters here in the church this morning, and we were talking about this very thing, and just about, you know, I mean, if, if you don't want the power of the Holy Spirit working in your lives, then, then that's fine with me. You know, I mean, if, if, like she said, if you want to drive a Yugo when you could be driving a brand new car, I mean, that's up to you. But this is what the Lord has promised us. This is what he has given to us. And I believe uh, that this is what he has commanded us because it says he commanded them to stay in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. So if we want to walk in obedience to Jesus, uh, then we need to seek after this. We need to follow after this. The Bible says that we should be zealous of spiritual things, that we should be zealous of spiritual gifts, and especially that we might prophesy, especially that the Holy Spirit would speak through our mouths. Well, one of the aspects of, uh, and I think the most important aspect of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is not just the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's something very, uh, a deep well of water that flows underneath that. And the Bible says that Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would be like a spring of living water coming up from our innermost being, coming up from our belly, as it says in the King James Version, coming up from the real person that we are on the inside. And the aspect that I want to talk about this morning is learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, or just hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Talk about learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. When, when I talk about that, I don't really know how to teach you how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's like teaching a newborn baby how to hear the voice of its parents. It's just something you learn by experience. You learn to know the voice of your parents and separate that from the voice of every other person that's around. Even dogs do that. Cats do that. Animals do those things, right? We learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit by trusting the Word of God, acting in faith, and allowing our hearts to commune with, with God and listen to His Spirit. And it makes a difference between our lives as Christians and the lives of people in the world. I want to show you that difference in several examples in the life of Apostle Paul in the stories that we read here in the book of Acts today. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, there's a verse that I love. It says, uh, at the time of the Passover, when God is speaking to Moses about what's about to happen and how he's going to deliver them out of Egypt, he says in Exodus 11, 7, but against any of the sons of Israel, not even a dog shall growl. Not even a dog shall growl. 
against the sons of Israel, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So God says that I make a dis distinction between Egypt and Israel. And a great distinction between Egypt and Israel we see as the children of Israel are crossing over the Red Sea and going into the wilderness as they're led through the wilderness for 40 years that they are led by a pillar of cloud that just appears there in the day and a pillar of fire that comes at night. And these things actually physically happen. This is a miraculous uh, uh, a manifestation of the presence of God with the children of Israel. But they also serve as symbols. They serve as a type or a shadow of our walk with the Holy Spirit today. You know that the children of Israel in the camp, they, uh, every time the cloud would start moving, they would pick up camp and they would follow that cloud. And it even tells us in great detail how sometimes they would come to a place early in the morning and they would set up camp. They'd follow the pillar of fire uh, all night long to this place and then it stops and the pillar of cloud stops in this place, okay? And they would set up camp, and you know what it's like to set up camp. It's kind of a hassle, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of work. Well, can you imagine if everybody of millions of people, they lived in tents, and then you had this entire tabernacle thing you had to set up, and this Ark of the Covenant, or what, you know, all these different things, right? And they're following, they get it all set up, and then all of a sudden in the afternoon, the pillar of cloud starts moving. And what do they do? They don't complain. Maybe they complain, I don't know, but it tells about that. They just realize, well, the pillar of cloud's moving, so we have to break camp, and we have to follow the pillar of cloud. And they would keep following. And God would act in ways where he didn't explain to them why they had to go here, and when they had to go here, they just had to go and they had to follow him. And we see that with the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of Paul. And I want to give you this morning five aspects or five characteristics of a person who is being led by the Spirit of God. And I want to give them to you not so much that you would say, well, I'm going to do these five things and that means I'm led by the Spirit of God. No, I want to give them to you so that you can see how the Spirit of God is leading you in your life. So that you can distinguish the difference between what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And sometimes just stories we read about great men and women of God in the Bible, they help us to understand and see those things. Because these are given to us as examples for our own lives. So before we turn to Acts, I want to go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And it says in... Uh, Verse 12, beginning with verse 12, it says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, the, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. And that's somewhat enigmatic if we don't really meditate upon what the Lord's saying here, and if we don't study the scriptures and under, understand the difference between flesh and spirit. How many of us really understand the difference between flesh and spirit in our lives? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the word of God is a sharp and two-edged sword, 
and it's able to distinguish or to cut between the soul and the spirit. And that tells me that I'm not able to do that without the Word of God, without the Bible. Because I can't even understand sometimes, and you can't either, sometimes you can get in a really bad mood, be really grumpy, just feel like life is terrible, and you're completely depressed, and it's not even a spiritual problem. You just didn't get enough sleep, or you haven't been eating the right food, or something like that. Because flesh, soul, and spirit, spirit, soul, and body are so intricately intertwined with each other that they influence each other all the time. It's who we are. We are spirit, soul, and body. But we have to be able to distinguish between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of our flesh. Because the voice of the flesh will always lead us in a direction that ends with death. And the voice of the Spirit will always lead us in a direction that ends with life and continues to lead us into life abundantly. And then it says in verse 14, All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So I want to give you today, like I said, five characteristics or five aspects of a person who is being led by the Spirit of God. When it says these are the sons of God, I want to clarify something. This word sons here is different from the words from the word children. You can be a child of God, but not a son of God. Did you know that? In the, in the New Testament understanding of this. Because the word son signifies a mature son who can be trusted with the car keys, who can be trusted with the bank account, who can be trusted to do things for the father and is a part of the father's uh, business and his life. Okay, And so you can be a child of God, and the Bible tells us in Galatians that while you're still a child, you're no different from a slave. You can't be trusted with anything. And everything has to be controlled, and you have to be given time limits, and you have to be disciplined, and everything has to be controlled in your life because you're still like a child in your thinking. But a grown-up son of God, and we could say daughter here also, right? But a trusted member of the family of God, that person is differentiated by the fact that he is being led by the Spirit of God and not by his flesh. Everybody knows that little children are led by their flesh, and it's totally normal. Nobody expects them to make wise decisions. Uh, we understand that they're still being led by their flesh, and that's why we don't trust them with the car keys, right? Or trust them to run the power tools or something else like that, because they could get seriously injured. God loves us, and he won't allow us to be seriously injured. But if we want to grow up and follow God, then we have to learn by experience uh, to live in the words of God and for the words of God to live in us, to abide in us. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. We like the end part of that verse, and we want prayer to work that way, but prayer just doesn't work that way. You cannot ask anything you want and it's going to be done for you if you don't abide in Jesus and the words don't abide in you. Any more than you're going to give to little children every single thing they ask for. Right? But when you grow up and you mature, you learn how to ask for what God wants. And you want what God wants. And then it's true that you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So it says in verse 14 again, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs also. If we are children, then we ought to become at least children of sons. It's what we were born into the family of God for. We should be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be also glorified with him. Now you try saying to a little child, if indeed you suffer with us. If indeed you bear the burden of responsibility for this family also, because they don't understand that. They're not geared yet to understand that. We're raising them and training them so that they understand that they have a share in the family's suffering or the family burden, the family responsibility. And if we suffer with Christ, that shows our maturity in Christ, that we have taken up our cross and we are following him. Okay, go with me over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to cover a lot of verses here, but most of them I'm not going to read to you. I'm just going to ask you to read them at home. Hopefully you will actually read them at home and uh, go over them, and you can look at them while I'm talking about them too. So those who are led by the Spirit of God, five aspects. Number one, number one, look at chapter 19, verse 21. Uh, chapter 19 of Acts and verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Remember, he's in Ephesus, and there have been great miracles confirming the word that he's preaching in Ephesus. And he's had a very successful ministry time in Ephesus. He's been there for two years. He didn't get to be anywhere for two years. He's always getting chased out of town because of persecutions in every single place. He finally found a place to call home a place where everybody likes him, a place where the church is growing, a place where miracles are happening, and everything's going great. And it says in verse 21, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, which is Greece, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. After I have been to Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So number one, a person like Paul, who is being led by the Spirit of God, establishes an intentional purpose for their actions according to the leading of the Spirit. It says that Paul purposed in his spirit. The decision he's making does not make sense according to the flesh. According to the flesh, he should just stay in Ephesus. It's the first place where he's actually been accepted, where he's actually been able to relax for two years. He's actually been able just to teach, and there's no threats against his life, and everything seems to be going wonderful, but he purposes in his spirit not to get this derailed from the direction that God has sent him on for his ministry. He knew by revelation, and that revelation he received in the very beginning of his life, or his ministry from Jesus personally, on the road to Damascus. And then when he was in Damascus, he heard these words confirmed through uh, the man Ananias that God sent to, to minister to him there in Damascus. So he heard from Jesus personally, 
And then he tells us that he spent three years in the desert just listening to Jesus and receiving revelation from him. So he heard from Jesus personally from the very beginning that one day he would stand before Caesar because Jesus told him that you will stand before kings and great men. And when Paul heard that, he accepted that as a statement from Jesus that I've got to go to Rome someday and I've got to stand before Caesar, which eventually Paul will do. At this time, he had never been to Rome. If you'll read Romans chapter 1, and I don't have time to open that, but if you'll read Romans chapter 1, he pours out his heart to the Romans in writing to them. He says, I've actually never been to visit you before, but all I've been dreaming of, this is my paraphrase, all of these years is to one day finally get to Rome. I have to come to Rome because that's the vision that Jesus spoke to me about from the very beginning. So he does not get derailed with the vision that God has given him. He knows he must go to Rome. And so his plans often change as we were reading through the book of Acts. His plans change, but his vision remains the same. That's a very important part of being led by the Spirit of God. If we worship our plans, if we honor our plans above the voice of God, then we will fail. We will walk according to the flesh. If we say, this just isn't going according to plan. Well, when you're led by the Spirit of God, things are not going to go according to plan. Being led by the Spirit of God doesn't mean there's no bumps in the road. Doesn't mean that there's no construction on the road. You've got to take a detour. Plans change all the time. In battle, or in sports, or in any game, or anything, anybody that's a winner knows that. That you adopt your strategy to what the enemy is doing. And if I were in charge of the armies of heaven, if I were the Lord of hosts, and I am not, I certainly would not be telling each one of us every one of my uh, strategic goals for the next year. No general does that. No general tells even uh, his officers everything. He tells them on a need-to-know basis. And the Spirit reveals uh, things to us on a need-to-know basis. And we just trust God and we walk by faith. So his plans change, but his vision never changes. And he senses in his heart by the Holy Spirit that the moment has come. This is his third missionary journey. And he senses by the Holy Spirit that this is his last one. And that the moment has come when he has to go to Rome and he has to stand before Caesar. And he must suffer because Jesus said to him, I will show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9. Jesus told him that. So he's never lost that vision. And he stays with that vision now. And he purposes in his spirit. He makes an intentional purpose for his actions. When we're led by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God does not mean if the Spirit's leading and God wants to do it, then God will just do it. Case okay, so we're all George Day used to sing. And whatever will be, will be. No. When a person is led by the Spirit of God, just because the Spirit of God revealed it to you doesn't mean it's going to automatically happen. You make a purpose in your spirit. I'm going to cooperate with God, and I'm going to adjust my plans to do what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And then on top of that, Paul announces it to everybody, and I love that. He doesn't just keep it to himself, like, well, this doesn't work out. I don't want anybody to hear about it. No, he has boldness. He goes right out, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to Rome. And I'm sure somebody asked him, why Jerusalem? 
Why don't you just go to Rome? Why go all the way back there? You go all the way back there. He said, I can't tell you all the reasons, but I know Jesus told me that I would suffer great th things for his name's sake. And so if I'm going to suffer great things for his name's sake, I want to suffer them at the very place where my Lord suffered. I need to go to the height of suffering so that I can fulfill the call of God on my life. Not because I desire to suffer. He prayed three times that that thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him. He didn't enjoy suffering. He's not some nut job. But because that's what Jesus told me. And he took his cross, and I will follow him. So we see that Paul is a mature son of God. He's being led by the Spirit of God. And so his, his desire now is to go into Macedonia and the northern part of Greece, and then go into Greece itself to go to Philippi, to go to Corinth, in other words, and to visit those churches, and then he's going to go to Jerusalem, right? And from Jerusalem, somehow he understands that he's going to suffer great things in Jerusalem. He knows this by the Spirit of God, and that somehow that suffering is going to turn into him ending up in Rome, which is what happens in the book of Acts. And so he's ready for that. He doesn't know how it's all going to happen, but he's ready for it, and he purposes it in his spirit. Okay, number two. Number two, and this is the part I'm not going to read, because this is a story, it'll just take longer, that begins in verse 23, and it goes all the way through chapter 20, verse 2, where it says, when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. So before he can leave Ephesus, something happens, and there's a great, uh, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a great, problem brewing in Ephesus that could turn to great persecution of the church. And it all has to do with the love of money. And what's happening is the people that make the idols, they're furious because so many people are getting saved. And you remember they burned all their books of witchcraft. They burned their sorcery books. They got rid of all their drugs or whatever they were doing there, you know, and stuff. And, and the economy is in trouble for these guys. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like if there were no meth addicts, if there, nobody was smoking pot anymore, nobody's going to the houses of prostitution, if everybody says, I'm never going to a casino again in my life because there's such a revival going on, you know, people in Lyon County are going to start getting worried because people make money off of that. I'm not talking bad about anybody, but, you know, there is corruption everywhere that we go and everywhere that we turn. But these people are so corrupt that they're furious because nobody's going to buy their idols anymore, they say. So they drum up this story about how Paul's been preaching against, uh, against their great goddess and against their city, which is not true, and it's even proven to not be true in there. And this riot happens, and it centers in the theater in the city. When I say theater, I don't mean like a movie theater like we have, but this you know huge outdoor amphitheater place where everybody gathered. It's the gathering place of the city. And there's a riot. And they're getting ready to really do some bad stuff. And you read about that story, what I notice in that is that Paul wants to go into the theater and preach Jesus. He wants to go in there. And we see in the story that that's actually his flesh. It's not what the Holy Spirit's leading him to do. Okay, But it is what he felt. And it is a noble feeling, and it is a good thing, but it's not what he was supposed to do. I don't know what would have happened if he would have lost his life then, 
or if he would have brought uh, some kind of failure to the church then, but God had a way of delivering the church. And you'll read about that if you read it, and it happens in the most amazing way. So a person who is led by the Spirit of God, they learn and they understand that they need to listen to the other disciples. That's what happens here. It says the disciples tell Paul, do not go into the theater. And Paul listens to that. He actually listens to that. And then he has friends who are in the city government. And the friends that are in the city government doesn't even tell us that they were Christians. I don't know who they were. But they were his friends in the city government, okay? And these friends in the city government of Ephesus told him, do not go into the theater. And Paul listens to the disciples and he listens to the other friends when he's warned not to venture into the theater. A person who is led by the Spirit of God will listen to those that God has put around him. To their spouse, to brothers and sisters in Christ that they trust in the church, and sometimes the people that might not even be Christians, but they have wisdom from God. And they can hear the Spirit of God speaking to them through other people. Following the Holy Spirit is not a Lone Ranger, one-man show thing. And you'll read this in the life of Paul. He's always like this. He's willing to listen to these other people. He doesn't put their voice above the voice of the Holy Spirit, but there's this thing called the confirmation. Sometimes people talk about it like a green light. You know, it's just this confirmation in my spirit that what this person is saying to me, it, it's, it's, it, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's like, a, like a feeling, you know? And, and it's, it's just like this thing on the inside. And, you become, and it only comes when you're really dwelling in the Word of God and you're listening to God. But sometimes you just can't put words to what God is saying to you, and then somebody will say it to you, and it's like, boom. That's what the Holy Spirit's been saying to me. But they didn't say it to you, and you didn't know it. You already knew it. See, that's how you can judge when somebody gives you a prophecy for your life or some word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. You know, I've had people say things to me, and I'm like, that is so off the wall. I've never heard that in my life, and I know that that's not God. Okay? Then I've had people say stuff to me where I sense that maybe this is God, but it doesn't really ring with my spirit. I don't have this confirmation, and I just put it on a shelf. And sometimes years later, I'll be like, wow, that was God. You know, and other times I just forgot it, don't remember, because <laughs> it wasn't that important. And then sometimes somebody will say something to you, and you know that that's God speaking, and because you already knew it on the inside. The Holy Spirit will not speak to you through the friends and through the, uh, the other disciples uh, uh, primarily. The Holy Spirit speaks to us primarily through this book we have, through the Word of God. And he speaks to our spirit with this inner voice, okay? But he will give us wise counsel and people that surround us that help us to understand the timing or the way, right? And sometimes they'll speak into our lives, but you'll always have this confirmation. So I know that Paul had this confirmation because he did not go into the theater. He listened to them, okay? But in chapter 21, we're going to get to this story later in a different message, in chapter 21, he has a prophet, a real-life prophet, recognized by the whole church, whose name is Agabus. And Agabus takes his belt off, 
I'm going to take my off for you. He takes his belt off, ties his hands up, and he goes, the man to whom this belt belongs will be bound and tied and arrested if he goes to Jerusalem. And the belt belongs to Paul. And they all start weeping. Please, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Please, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul is going to say to them in chapter 21, why are you trying to break my heart? I've already purposed in my spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going no matter what you say to me. And I am ready not only to be bound and tied and arrested, but I am ready to die for my Lord Jesus. So he doesn't always listen to the friends. You understand? But when the friends tell him, don't venture into the theater. There's something in that. You know, in this world, there's a theater. There's a political theater. There's a, I don't know, name. today, political theater is the big thing. You know, people arguing about everything. You know, the whole Facebook or whatever you're into, you know, this whole political theater, this this social theater that would we probably better call it a three-ring circus. And the Holy Spirit is saying, just don't even venture in there. You're not going to change anybody's mind. You're not going to change anything. You're just going to get hurt for no reason, and you're going to get derailed from the purpose that I've already put in your spirit. You're supposed to get out of Ephesus and leave. Let them take care of their own problems. As you read the story, you'll see that they do take care of their problems. And the church prospers and it grows without Paul. You don't have to fix everything, Paul. Just follow Jesus and do what he's leading you to do. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you from Psalm 46, first of all. These are things that you've heard a million times in your life. Let's put them in that, that context. Psalm 46. And it says in verse 8, Psalm 46, um, Come behold the works of the Lord, who has brought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Okay, so the verses 8 and 9 are talking about war, right? And then verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In this version I'm reading, New American Standard, it says, Cease and know that I am God. Stop striving. Stop fighting. You're not going to change the world situation. I will, God said. So you be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So you don't have to strive. You don't have to rush into the theater and save the day for the church. Just trust God and do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And then in Proverbs chapter 3, also verses that you know really well, I'm sure. It says in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So don't, lose, don't forget the Bible. Don't forget the word of God that he's spoken to you. Don't forget what he's telling you to do and what he's put into your heart just because the world situation around you has gone awry and all the plans are getting messed up. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. This is a day when it's easy to lose kindness and truth. We're surrounded by so many lies. I mean, this is probably important for the message. But it just popped into my head when I'm thinking this this morning, uh, early in the morning, I was checking the news and I saw in the news, I always check what's going on in Ukraine. I saw in the news, it said in the British news and it's being reported in the United States 
that uh, uh, all the generals in Russia have died and so they uh, have been killed and so they've appointed this new guy general who's a complete failure and he's super overweight and had this picture of this really fat general. And I thought, what? And so I looked the guy up. Study it out. Turns out the guy died 12 years ago. <laughs> but, but this stuff's all the time in the news. Just not even slightly true things that are being told to us. Completely fabricated lies. They put fear in our hearts. He says, don't let kindness and truth depart from you. Now, whatever's going on in the world, be kind. Walk in the truth. Walk in the love of God. And let there be peace in your heart. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So stop being wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this is the best part. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Why walk in all that stress all the time? Walk in the peace of God. So those who are led by the Spirit of God, they know when to let go and let God, as they say. They have a sense of timing that comes by revelation from the Holy Spirit. Paul has that timing. It's not something you know on your own. It's what the Holy Spirit gives you. And you sense it, you know it, you obey it, and God blesses you in that. Number three, chapter 20. Uh, verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3 of Acts. It says that there he spent three months. So he spends three months in Greece. Now he's in Corinth, in other words, for three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail, sell, sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now it doesn't tell us this, okay? But I'm just kind of projecting myself into the story. I think you would all agree with this. If you'd been having all the success in Ephesus, and then you left there and you went to Syria, I'm, I'm sorry, to uh, Greece, and you've been there for only three months in Corinth, and you know the kind of problems they have in the church there, and then the whole city turns out against you and they have a secret plot to kill you, there's a very good opportunity here for doubt to come into your mind. Maybe I'm not following the Spirit of God. Have you ever felt that? I thought if I followed the Spirit of God, everything was going to work great. So I must have missed it. And that's a huge mistake, to judge the leading of the Holy Spirit by the circumstances in our life. Because as we see Paul being led by the Spirit of God, you know, the Bible says this, this is the best one of all, okay? The best example of all. The Bible says, Luke chapter 4, that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. Just think about that. And Jesus even taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Okay? In other words, don't let us get out there so far that we can't handle it. And God won't. There's a promise in his word that he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But we forget this aspect of our lives that we are soldiers in the army of God. That there is a spiritual battle going on. And, and, and Paul talks about this, and that we're soldiers. And, and a soldier, he also talks about we're farmers, right? And no, any farmer here will tell you that there's not going to be any crop without a lot of sweat, blood, and tears. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And any soldier would tell you that at some point they're going to send you to, to battle. And you're going to have to fight that battle. 
And, and so it's, it's, it's God's call on our lives, and he's equipped us for these things. So the Holy Spirit leads Jesus even into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And so he leads Paul into Greece where there's more trouble. He's going to lead him into Jerusalem where he will be arrested. Don't judge the leading of the Holy Spirit by the circumstances around you. So it says that there was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 3, it says that he decided to return through Macedonia. See his plans changing? He's okay with plans changing. But his vision does not change. I can't stress the importance of that to you. We get so stuck on plans that we lose the vision God's given to us. Verse 4, and he was accompanied by Sopater and by Aristarchus, and there's a whole list of these guys here. In verse 5 it says, but these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from, sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. Okay? We'll stop right there for now. A person who is led by the Spirit of God knows that he cannot follow the Spirit leading alone. Not only does he need to listen to the people that God puts in his life, like the friends and the disciples, but a person who is led by the Spirit of God knows that Jesus never sends people out alone. You know, when he sent the disciples out, he sent them two by two. And there was a whole team of 70 of them. And they were supposed to gather together again. A person doesn't go alone. A person doesn't do it alone. Paul has an entire team that's moving together with him. And Luke is a part of that team. Because he keeps talking about we in this part. The guy that's writing the, the, the book of Acts. And this entire team is going together. There are many enemies of the cross, and he's facing these enemies in every place, and he knows that he cannot leave to go on to fulfill the mission of God, to get to Jerusalem, to get to Rome. Uh, he cannot go back until after, as it says here, he breaks bread with the family of God, and until he prolongs his message until midnight. There's a spiritual truth in that. Paul has something to say to these people. He has a word from God to give to them. He has something to fulfill, a ministry to fulfill right here and right now. And so he's in a big hurry. Why is he in such a hurry? Well, we're going to see. He wants to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Why? Because that's what the Spirit has led him to do. He's already missed Passover. It says it's the days of the unleavened bread. That's Passover. And he needs to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. How does he know that? Again, I, I can't explain to you how he knows it. He knows it by the Spirit of God, that I have to be in Jerusalem on Pentecost. That's where I have to be. Just, have you ever sensed that? Do you just know what the Spirit of God is telling you? And so he's in a huge hurry, because already 5 plus 7, 12 days have gone by. And there's only 50 days to Pentecost, and he doesn't have a jet to get on. Right? So, you know, he's, he's only got 38 days left. He's got about a month, a little over a month, to get all the way to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and he's got a really long road ahead of him. Okay? He's in a hurry in his spirit. This is really interesting. But he doesn't hurry himself in the flesh. 
Do you remember the difference? The Bible says that when we trust in the Lord, that we won't be in a hurry, that we won't be frustrated with things. He knows it's going to work out because it's God's will. So he doesn't hurry his flesh, but he hurries his spirit. And because he hurries in his spirit, he knows I can only be here one day, so they're going to listen to this sermon even if it goes to midnight. Could you imagine if I kept preaching today all the way to midnight? And it ruined all the plans, s'mores for Jesus, no hamburgers, no hot dogs. You don't get to go home and have a nap. You just sit here and you listen until midnight. Would you do it? Probably not. And I'm not planning on doing that. But Paul knew this is it. I've got to get it all out there for them. And they actually sat there and listened to him until midnight. And you know what happens at midnight. I'm not going to read that part either. You read it at home. But there's a guy, Eutychus. His name actually means the lucky one. Well, he wasn't so lucky because he falls, he's sitting on a window on the third floor listening to Paul. And Paul goes on for so long that he falls asleep and he falls out of that window and he dies. Okay? I'll talk about that in just a minute. But he knows I've got to break bread with the family of God and I've got to get this message out there for them. So the third one is that, that when a person is following the Spirit of God. He will follow together with his team. He will break bread with the family of God. He will walk together with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he may end up going in alone at some point, physically, but he'll never be going in alone spiritually. Okay, let's look at number four. That's chapter 20, verses 8 through 12. And uh, just for time's sake, I'm not reading them. Uh, you probably know the story. I just, just told it to you. Um, and when the boy falls down and he dies, Paul comes up to him and it says that he embraced him. Okay? Uh, he embraced him. So he literally fell upon him physically. The boy's laying there and Paul lays his body on the boy and holds him like this. And he's not performing CPR. It's the Spirit of God in Paul. Okay? And then he says, don't worry, don't be troubled. His life is still in him. And then he does an amazing thing. They take the boy, move him into the other room. He's still laying there lifeless. But Paul says his life is in him. Paul says he's not dead. So they take him and lay him in the other room. And Paul goes to the potluck. <laughs> read the story. He goes and eats with these guys. He's not even worried about it. That only comes by the Spirit of God, people. When we walk according to the Spirit, the mature sons of God, they are zealous for the house of God. And they will not take no for an answer. And they have yes so strong in their heart that they can just go off onto the potluck and they know that Eutychus is not dead. He will raise from the dead. And then right in the middle of the potluck, here comes you. He goes, woo that was quite an experience. He goes, yeah, I knew you were okay. But he actually was dead. He actually was dead. But see, we have some other stories in the Bible that, that are exactly like this. There's a story of Jesus, and he's called by Jairus uh, to go to his house because he says, my daughter's really sick and she's getting ready to die. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And then Jesus gets delayed on the way, Right? Because this woman comes up and touches the hem of his garment. And power goes out of his body into her. And she's healed of a flow of blood that she's had for all these years. 
And then he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the disciple says, well, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? He says, no, somebody touched me, actually touched me. I felt power, virtue going out of me. The anointing of the Holy Spirit went out of me into a person's life. Who was it? And that woman says, well, it was me. You know that story. Well, that delay in ministering to the woman ended up with uh, people coming to Jairus and saying, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter already died. But Jesus is never late. You see, he knows he has an appointment at the cross. He knows that appointment so strongly that he's hurry, he hurries himself in the spirit, but not in the flesh. There's no stress. He's in a hurry spiritually, but he's not stressed out about it in the flesh. He has time to stop and take care of this woman. She's the one that touched the hem of his garment. But he's the one that wasted all the time. He could have just said, well, I'm glad you got healed. i got to go. No, he needs to turn, and he needs to minister to her. Because the healing's not enough. She needs the spiritual healing. And he knows there's faith in the room, and he's going to minister to that faith. But Paul's in a hurry, and it would be the easiest thing in the world to say, it's not my fault that you just fell out of the window. What kind of idiot sits in a window on a third floor? He's just stupid. He fell asleep. That's not my fault. But it's the first thing we would do if somebody, something like that happened in the church. So, oh, we're going to get a lawsuit, get the insurance policies out. It's not our fault. You know, what's the first thing you're supposed to do if you're in a car wreck? Don't say anything. Don't say it's my fault, right? Believe me, don't say it's your fault. Just let them deal with it. Let the insurance companies deal with it. But, you know, that's what he's doing. But Paul's. Paul doesn't think about what's going to happen to me or what kind of shame is going to come on the church or what kind of anger the boy's parents are going to feel. He just sees the opportunity. He's zealous for the house of God. He seizes the opportunity to minister to that boy when he could have just walked away. Jesus did the same thing. And then when he came to the house, the girl was laying there dead. Everybody knows she's dead. Doctors said she's dead. Mourners are weeping and crying. And Jesus walks into the room and he says, what are you crying about? The child has not died. She is just asleep. And they laugh at him. They mock him, right? And so what does he do? Walk away in despondency? No, he kicks him out of the room. Get out of here, you people without faith. He says, this child's not dead. She's alive. Because the way Jesus sees things is not the way we see things or the way doctors see things. And then he speaks to her, little girl, wake up. It's time to get up. She wakes up and she's alive. Then we have two stories in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you the verses and ask you, again, get a lot of homework today. Read these at home. Some of you don't even know these stories and they're amazing. Some of you heard them in Sunday school and it's been a long time. The first one is the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And you can begin reading at verse 17, or you can read the entire context before that. So there's a woman, and her son dies, and it's going to be big problems for the ministry of Elijah, because she's mad at Elijah. Because she had received Elijah 
And she was giving him, if you remember, her last oil and her last flower. And God was doing these miracles. But in the midst of all the miracles that don't matter, I mean, remember, the woman was actually ready to die already. She said to Elijah at the beginning, did you just let me die? And my son died. We're going to make our last little loaf of bread, and then we're going to die from starvation. And Elijah says, no, you're not. You're going to make a loaf of bread, you're going to give it to me. And she actually does it. And then God blesses her, and they don't die. They don't go wrong. Great miracles happen. But then in the course of time, her son dies. She's mad. I didn't care about the food. I cared about my son. I was going to give him my last cake, like any mother would do. I would have died first with the hope that maybe he could live. And now he's died. And the man of God came into my house and brought a curse on my house. And Elijah doesn't get mad about it. He doesn't worry about it. He goes, oh yeah, well I'll show you. And he does exactly what Paul does. Except he did it first. He lays on top of the boy. He does this mouth-to-mouth thing even. And the boy, but the boy's been dead for days. It's not CPR mouth-to-mouth. It's the Spirit of God. And the boy comes back alive again because of the faith working through Elijah, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, and you should read the whole chapter actually, but begin at least with verse 18, 2 Kings chapter 4, we have the story of Elisha. So Elisha is Elijah's uh, understudy. And Elisha comes on the scene, and the same thing happens again. It happens with the Shunammite woman. And she's been such a blessing to Elisha. She makes a home for him, a little room for him. She's got, you know, little chocolates on the pillows. She just does everything for Elisha. And every time he comes through town, the Shunammite woman takes care of him. So one day Elisha says, I want to do something for her. I want to do something to bless her. What do you need, Shunammite woman? You want me to introduce you to the king or something like that? She goes, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. A year from now, you're going to have a baby boy because she never had a son. She said, please don't deceive me. And then a year later, that's how much she wanted a son. And a year later, that boy was born. And then he becomes a teenager. All these years go by. He goes out in the field, and he has brain aneurysm or sunstroke or something. He says, my head hurts, and he falls down dead. He dies on his mom's lap. And she's furious with Elisha. I told you don't deceive me. Why did God even give me a son if he's just going to die? And Elisha doesn't explain in a way like, well, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. No, he says, get that boy over here, falls on top of him, embraces him, does the whole thing again. The boy comes back alive. And she says, now I know that there is a man of God in our midst. Now I know that Jesus is alive, is the way we would say it today. That's the power of signs and wonders that fall after the miracle, after the word of God, when we are being led by the Spirit of God. When we're not so worried about getting sued. I mean, we've got all these, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, you know, Paul. They don't think about what's going to happen to me. They just think about this person's dead, he's not supposed to be dead, and he's going to live. That's how the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit works through the lives. They're zealous for the house of God. And the last thing, look at verse chapter 20 and verse 13. It says, well, in verse 12, just so you'll know, it says, they took away the boy alive and they were greatly comforted. 
the Greek it says, and they were, uh, they had no little comfort. It's just a nice way of saying they were ecstatic. <laughs> Their boy was alive and not dead. Verse 13, it says, But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. How many days does he have to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost? He's got literally about a month left. And he decides to walk. What is he walking for? Get in the boat and hurry up and go to Jerusalem. Because he's not hurried in the flesh. He's got an appointment in the spirit. He's hurried in the spirit, if that's the right word for it. He's pressing. Remember Jesus, he said uh, to one of the guys that came to him and said, you know, I'm going to follow you, but first I need to go home and bury my father. Perfectly normal request, right? You need to go bury my dad. i got to go to the funeral first. And, and then I'm going to get the inheritance. And I'm going to bring all this money. And I tell you, I'm going to support your ministry, Jesus, like nobody ever supported your ministry. And a normal minister would say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Here, you know, here's my bank account. Here's how you send the money or something like that. But not Jesus. He says, you know, the foxes, they have dens to lay down in the birds of the air. They have nests. Son of man has no place to lay his head. I'm in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. And after you're gone to the funeral and you come back, I won't even be here anymore. And I certainly won't need your money anymore because I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. So if you're going to follow me, let the dead bury their dead and you follow me today. Because there's not going to be a tomorrow. You only have today. And Paul has that kind of rush or that kind of press in his spirit, but not in his flesh. It says he decided to walk. And so sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem. See? But it's in his spirit, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has an appointment for him in Jerusalem, and nothing's going to prevent him from getting there on time. But he's not stressed. He's not in a hurry in the flesh. A person who's led by the Holy Spirit doesn't walk in stress. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead us by stress. He doesn't lead us by pressures externally. A person who is being led by this Holy Spirit can just say, you know what? I'm going to walk. Meet me at such and such a point in three days from now. But we don't have our cell phones, Paul. How will we find you? Oh, they haven't been invented yet. There's no GPS. How will we know? No, we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit. We're going to all meet up there. You go by boat, and I'll walk. And someone said, well, let me walk with you, Paul. No, I just need to spend some time alone with Jesus. I need to communicate with the Lord. I just need to be alone. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to walk. It'll take longer. It's okay. We've got plenty of time. We'll make it on time. So he's hurried in the spirit, but he's not stressed out about it in the flesh. The person who is led by the Holy Spirit is never distracted from their goal. They prioritize the leading of the Holy Spirit over all other things. They know the difference between what is good and what is God. I heard a preacher say that when I was a teenager. I never forgot it. 
person who's led by the Holy Spirit knows the difference between what is good and what is God. And it would be good for him to go to Ephesus on the way. Because there's been a huge problem there we just talked about. That he won't go to Ephesus on the way because he knows if he does, he'll get sucked into that theater again. And he can't get stuck in the theater. He needs to get to Jerusalem because that's what the Holy Spirit's leading him to do. Next time that we turn to the book of Acts, which will be two weeks, because next week I'm going to be gone in the wedding with your niece, and you're going to be blessed with John's ministry and special message for uh, Independence Day. But we do have a little special video for you for Independence Day. The next time that we come back to the book of Acts, we're going to look at what is truly my most favorite part of the book of Acts. I've always loved this message that Paul gives to the elders of Ephesus and the things that he says to them. We're going to look at that. But I want you to know that he has a message to speak to them, but he won't go into their city. He tells them, you get up and meet me at a different place. Because if I come back into the city, I'm going to get sucked back into the theater. And I can't get stuck there in the theater. I've got to get to Jerusalem. Because there is a difference. There really is between the things that God has for you and all the thousands of things that seem good that we can keep busy with. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I just want to pray for each one of us today. I just want to pray, Lord, I know that there are people here today. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.